Lewis. What's up, what's up? It's your boy AT and your boy AE coming to you live and direct with another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life where we break down the bars, relate to the rhymes so we can shed light on our lives. Just listen. Welcome to another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life. Alan, how are you feeling today, my brother? Not too bad, not too bad. Man, what a track you picked this week. <laughs> I got some shit to say prior before we start breaking um, the bars down, but Biggie, Biggie Smalls, Juicy. Why the pick this week, Alan? It's Biggie. You know, that, what more can you say? It's Biggie and he's considered one of the goats by many like arguably it's been nearly a year and we haven't done a biggie track we couldn't let it go that long i was talking to our our mutual friend sc a while back and he's a big biggie fan and he's saying when you're gonna do biggie so this one this one's for him yeah so here we are there were other biggie tracks that i thought were perhaps more personal perhaps more like hard hitting but this one is quite relatable and it's quite a fun track so so i went with this one Okay, man. Like, I mean, thank you. I appreciate you. And I'm sure SC does and a lot of other listeners out there probably appreciate it too. And I just got, uh, I got a few things to say. Number one, this is just a track with loads of K's on the end of it, period. This is just a track, man. You just can't, you know, some things don't need too many opinions. You could, you could say that play this track to anyone in the world and they're going to, they're going to funk to it. You know what I mean? They're going to, they're going to, say something or associate themselves to this track in some way shape or form and then I, I i thought i tend to go through a lot of thinking whenever i play biggie and park allen and i just got a few questions that i want to pose there i don't necessarily need some answers it's just me like postulating a bit and stuff is that number one would they ever get the kind of acclaim that they do now if they hadn't died so young because i always think that there's an element that if someone dies before their time they do get revered way more than if they were to stay alive. And I don't know, like, you know, if they did something to get them like cancelled somehow in today's day or whatever, then <laughs> all of a sudden they would just not matter as much no more. So I tend to try to think about that with certain people, artists, actors. But I, I go back and say, no, it's undeniable. All their pairs say that these guys are the goats. No one, like no one has an argument if you say Biggie or Park. No one has an argument. No one, no one goes, nah, 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 overrated. You're only rating them thingy. But but it crosses my mind. So that was the first thing I needed to say. I think it's a fair point. There's there's certainly an element of it. And I think it's partly because they don't get a chance to to grow old and for people to be like, I like their newer stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I always think of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. People always talk about who's the best Beatle, who's the best writer. And people will often say about Paul McCartney, they don't like his newer stuff because he's, you know, he's, he's just played Glastonbury. He's in his 80s. He's making new music. He even said to the audience, a sort of clip of him saying to the audience, we know you don't always like the new songs, but we're playing them anyway. And and so people might not like that, but John Lennon never had a chance to do that. You know what I mean? Like he was just 
down, taken down in his prime. And that's the point. He was in his prime. I suspect it's the same for Biggie and Park. They would have had a huge impact in, in either case. But yeah, they, they were taken so early that they didn't even get a chance to grow up and, and release those those whack later albums. <laughs> yeah. So I always, I, it was just something I wanted to share with you, just sort of like, you know, uh, talk to you about and stuff. Then the second one, which I think is a very personal point, but it's still a point, is that I need to pay a little bit more attention to the bait tracks. And the reason why I say this is like, back in the day, when we heard Gold Digger and everyone in the club starts going, ah, me and you, we usually roll our eyes and walk away and get a drink, yeah? Because it's just too bait a track, you know what I mean? It's just blitzed over all over radio, blitzed in the club. And then you, I feel like, oh, you lot don't respect the format. You lot don't know hip hop like we know hip hop. I ain't, I ain't vibing to this track no more, yeah? California Love's another one. You know, when that drop hits and everyone starts going, ah, I'm just like, nah, fuck all you lot. You don't represent fucking the bars the way that we represent it, yeah? <laughs> and look, the same applies to this track. However, when you bars, rhymes, and life these tracks, yeah, you really have to appreciate that the fire the fire that are these tracks and so i'm so happy you chose this tune because it's taught me to re-engage and re-listen to some of these songs that i immediately switch mentally off from you know i switch mentally off like yeah of course i'm gonna enjoy it i'm never not gonna enjoy any of those tunes that i just mentioned but i'm not listening to it and i'm not giving it the full appreciation that it needs because it's on a quote-unquote it's a bait track you know what i'm saying yeah so you just taught me a lesson just by doing this, bro. So like, again, appreciate it. Thank you. There's definitely an element of that. I think with anything, when you get really deep into it, you, you, you kind of automatically start gatekeeping it when there's a really obvious thing. It even happened with, uh, with the Lupe Fiasco track, um, Superstar. I thought, oh, this is the radio track. I don't need to pay that much attention to it. When I did, man, incredible. And, and that's with Lupe. I should know better. Yeah, facts. Absolutely facts. And then the third thing that I think I just learned about Alan, which is a madness, is apparently Pete Rock produced the original of this track, which, look, whether he did or not, or there's some controversy around it or not, it just goes to show Pete Rock has to go up there as one of the GOAT producers of all time. Just to be attached to this song is, is beyond belief in itself. Yeah, that Pete Rock is definitely one of the top producers of all time, undoubtedly. Madness, bro. Can't wait to get into this. Who's up first? I'm up. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I'd never amount to nothing. This album is dedicated to all the teachers that told me I'd never amount to nothing. Snap, bro. <laughs> so before I say anything, I'm going to say that teaching is a really difficult job i know that they're they're undervalued they're underpaid underappreciated so shout out to all the teachers and that's just me covering my back before i slag off my old teachers if <laughs> if if you're a teacher and you've ever said anything like this to a kid that you'd never amount to nothing you need to have a word with yourself because if you think undermining a kid's confidence is, is a good way of teaching then you're in the wrong profession and I mean, I'm saying it from personal experience. I had a teacher, I can't actually remember her name, but I probably wouldn't say it if I could remember it. But she said to me something along the lines of, if you keep up like this, you'll just end up being a garbage collector. And I was like, firstly, shout out to the garbage collectors because they're like essential workers who are up grafting while most of us are still in bed. But also what a shit way of trying to motivate someone. 
Like, I know I could be a pain in the ass student, but still, part of the job is dealing with pain in the ass students. You could say, if you work hard, you could do X, Y, or Z, instead of saying, if you don't work hard, you'll amount to nothing. Like, I don't think negative reinforcement like that is really helpful at all. And although it's nice to look back on them now and, like, say that I showed you, you know, like Biggie's doing here, like, I should I should dedicate both my master's degrees to that teacher. But still, it sucks that they did that in the first place and they don't think it was helpful. So, relatable line. couple of things that are going to blow your mind, Alan. Because I know you don't know this because you would have said it, yeah? Check this out, just based on your example. So, remind me specifically what example the teacher said to you that you're going to end up as a what? A garbage collector. Yeah. So, check this before I go into my breakdown. According to Miss Wallace, Big's mother in the biography Unbelievable, The Life, Death and Afterlife of Notorious B.I.G., this exchange happened between Big and his teacher. Big, do you know how much a garbage collector makes, sir? No. Big, a teacher makes a starting salary of 22500 A garbage collector starts at 29000 Teacher, do you have a point, Mr. Wallace? Yes, sir. You said some of us inside here are going to be garbage collectors, but we're going to be making more money than you. So that's cool. <laughs> you and Biggie had me, the same me example. Me and Biggie, me and Biggie. You and Biggie had the same example. So look, this is going to be funny because I'm literally going to reiterate everything that you said because this is what I said. If I had gone first, I said, so I took these lines on behalf of you, Alan. Honestly, <laughs> I know I've mentioned this before, but the listeners have no idea how bad a student Alan was. <laughs> and while I wasn't privy to any teachers saying that he would amount to nothing, there were too many teachers that thought it, especially when he walks in half an hour late in the middle of a lesson, sits down, doesn't even get, doesn't even get his book out and just everyone's acting like that's normal. No one even cares. No one gives a fuck. Alan doesn't give a fuck. The class doesn't give a fuck. The teacher doesn't give a fuck, yeah? They thought my boy would amount to nothing. But lo and behold, we here now. My boy has two degrees, not one, two. My boy has his own yard with a really nice garden, I might add, because I just checked it out a few <laughs> weeks ago, yeah? And my boy has a beautiful baby girl. So to all those teachers that thought Alan wouldn't amount to nothing, I guess this album and this song is dedicated to you. And if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> I appreciate you, man. I feel like I have to say that so much of that is down to luck and it could have worked it could have worked out much worse despite that. But I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> Who's next, bro? I'm up. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine, hanging pictures on my wall, every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly Mall. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. Half a snap there, bro. So most of these acts are before our time. I think the rap attack show was on the air in like the mid-80s when we were born. But I still got to enjoy this music thanks to Grand Theft Auto Vice City, which is set in the 80s and had a rap station called Wildstyle, which was hosted by the real Mr. Magic. And it had all these tracks on there. It had all the, the Marley Mars. It had like Eric B and Rakim and Curtis Blow. And I used to love just cruising Vice City, listening to all these tracks. And those artists really laid the foundations 
of hip hop. Like they inspired people like Biggie, as he says, he hangs their posters on his wall and then he goes on to inspire the next generation and so on. So yeah, just, uh, it's, it's a nice sort of, there's a lot of nostalgia in this song, which is what makes it fun to listen to. And it's nice for him to shout out his inspirations. Amazing. So I snapped you on the first two lines. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine, Salt and Pepper and Heavy D up in the limousine. And I, I jacked the first section of my breakdown off Rap Genius, which was the popularity and influence of this lyric cannot be overstated. Complex ranked this number one on their list of best opening lines in rap history. Jay-Z built an entire song, a dream around it. Bad Boy's pop girl group named their album It Was All A Dream after it. And over 500 artists have quoted, sampled and interpolated it on their own songs, including Missy Elliott, The Game, Vampire Weekend, Usher, Migos and Wu-Tang Clan. So I've got a few questions for you, Alan, here, yeah? First off, is this the best opening line in rap history? I tend to disagree, right? I think this is the most iconic line in rap history, but I don't necessarily think it's the best opening line in rap history. So that's question one. Yeah, I mean, I was literally going to say, I don't think it's the best, but it's the most iconic. You took the word straight away. Yeah, Yeah, it's, it's an iconic line. As soon as you hear it, you're like, just sums this track up perfectly. 100. Okay, cool. Question two, bit deep here. Was Biggie the Martin Luther King of the rap world? And the reason why I say this is because he was Jay-Z's inspiration, who in turn has been an inspiration to so many more in the rap game that wanted to succeed out of the rap game. And I don't think anyone else prior to Biggie made it to that level of fame and money, especially from New York right? It gave a lot of people that may have come from the poverty that Biggie came from, you know, the necessities of drug dealing and all the violence that's associated with that sort of area to survive, that you could make something of yourself just by being a wordsmith against a beat. And I just say, just think about that for a second. Because of Biggie thinking of it and translating it like it was all a dream, just like Martin Luther says, I have a dream. Something as dark as drug dealing something so dark about that world and that low socioeconomic state that they were in can breed that kind of creativity I find that quite fascinating and the fact that he made it out of there it's like a lot of drug dealers believe that they can make it out of there it's like that association and it gives people a chance I'm not saying everyone every drug dealer becomes a rapper and makes a success out of themselves but it gives them a chance it gives them an avenue it gives them something to point themselves to as opposed to just, this is my life and this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think he's definitely definitely inspirational for a lot of people who come from his background. And I think also, uh, slightly tangential, inspirational because to be a celebrity, for the most part, you need to be to look a certain way. And Biggie, as the name suggests, was a big guy. You know, he, he wasn't your typical Hollywood type. But it didn't matter because he, the dude had absolute buckets of charisma. Yeah. Bars, charisma, and flow. Not untouchable. Untouchable, man. And then the final thing I want to say was that uh, I, I used to read Word Up magazine. I just wanted to shout out whoever was part of making the Nintendo magazine throughout my childhood when I was playing my N64 during my N64 days. 
I bought that magazine religiously, yeah? And half the reason why my gaming catalog is just fire is because of that magazine, I used to buy specific games that had great reviews and their reviews were amazing. And that magazine was sick. Like magazines used to be sick. They're nothing nowadays, but they used to be sick. If you were into something and you collected a magazine of that, the the way that the, the kind of posters they had inside and the way that they were produced, it was just wicked man so that 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 was the final thing i wanted to shout out about is the shout out to the old school magazines from back in the day you know what's funny uh as you're talking i i curiously googled word up magazine just to see what became of it the wikipedia page is like three lines like really small wikipedia page and one of those lines is the magazine was name checked by the notorious big in the song juicy <laughs> so you talk about talk about how things can be forgotten like this i only know of word up magazine from this song but it obviously meant a lot to biggie mental that's mad bro considering that was like apart from newspapers for a long time was the only other format that you could actually get info on that's nuts right you're up next now i'm in the limelight because i rhyme tight time to get paid blow up like the world trade now i'm in the limelight because i rhyme tight time to get paid blow up like the world trade Talk about predicting the future, right? <laughs> Can you imagine what Biggie might have thought if he was to be alive when 9-11 happened? And did you know that this line was actually in reference to the 1993 bombing of the NYC World Trade Center? Never knew that. I never knew that. So that's something I learned. Now, on February the 26th, 1993, a group of Middle Eastern terrorists detonated a van packed with ex explosives in a basement parking lot in the center of the North Tower. The attack, which produced minimal damage to the building, was in response to America's support of Israel. When the song was being played post 9-11, they actually censored the word world trade for a while. So it was being played on radio and they would like thingy, which is rightly so. But I just think that's a madness when you think about it. That is a, that line, you read that line and you go, what the fuck? That's mental. It's, su it's such a shame in some respects that he didn't, was able to even see that come through and obviously he never would want that to come to fruition obviously <laughs> yeah but again he, he imagine just being like shit you know you wrote that bar a time ago and look what happened that's fucking mental mental yeah not not in a good way obviously yeah it's like the the streets on fire verse that ended up being weirdly prophetic even though it didn't mean to be facts absolute facts <laughs> who's next you're up again Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. Born sinner, the opposite of a winner. I just thought that this was a nice tie-in with what we discussed on B, B. Dolan last week with regards to Adam and Eve and original sin. And similar to how Black Thought was saying that conception, no conception is immaculate. It's like Biggie completely owned it rather than sort of saying like, I am a believer in original sin or whatever. He's just like, I am that sin. I am the sin. Like, you know, I am sin. And it's all determined for me to fail. However, and I'm the opposite of a winner. Like, it's like, call me a loser. Call me a born sinner. Call me all those things. But I'm still here now. So I just thought it was quite interesting. And I thought it was a nice time. I wanted to mention it. Nice. You're up again. I never thought it could happen. This rapping stuff. I was too used to packing gats and stuff. I never thought it could happen, this rapping stuff. I was too used to packing gats and stuff. These two lines are sonically abstract, but visually specific. I never thought it could happen, this rapping stuff. It's like he never entertained the thought that his voice and his words alone 
could provide him more money and more safety than carrying a gun or selling dope. It's just mental, right? When we associate riches to anyone, we always think about products or skill sets, like degrees. Like we might think, oh, the only reason he's rich is because he sold loads of something, loads of drugs or loads of, he's got his own business, he's owned this. Or the only reason he's rich is because he's got loads of degrees and he's really, like he's got a degree from Oxford or Cambridge or some shit like that. But when you think about it, people like developers, engineers, scientists, they always do okay, Alan. They always do okay. But there always seems to be someone in sales who basically knows fuck all about anything and seems to be double the money of everyone else, right? You know, like when you think of these departments, any departments, any of these uh, things, the sales departments, the sales guys know nothing. They usually know fuck all, <laughs> but they're always on double the amount of everyone else. And you're just like, well, you don't, you don't even do anything. You just literally use your your voice and your your persona to sell a product. And I was just making the fact that maybe there's something inherent in us as humans that someone who's able to just vocalize themselves, whether they know what they're talking about or not, seems to just be like, make money. They just seem to make money. Yeah, I think in a way, it's the power of storytelling. And if you can tell a good story, whether it's the story of why you should buy this product or, you know, the story of how you came up from nothing you can you can connect to people and in some cases that means making money but you get what i mean like how many guys in yeah, sales 100%. that just like i'm like man you do nothing why are you even it yeah and uh, but the the one thing they obviously do is, is generate money for someone <laughs> i know it's so weird man because i just think i'd never want to give you any of my money i'd rather give it to the person that actually is doing the thing or actually is making the product but it just never seems to work out like that who's next I'm up. Lunches, brunches, interviews by the pool. Considered a fool because I dropped out of high school. Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood and it's still all good. Lunches, brunches, interviews by the pool. Considered a fool because I dropped out of high school. Stereotypes of a black male misunderstood and it's still all good. Snap. Another comment on school life from Biggie. It really is such a, a formative time and it isn't always positive. It's. I think it's really a shame when school doesn't work for people. Like, I'm not one of those people who says, oh, you don't need school or school just indoctrinate, indoctrinates you. Like, I do think school is really important, but it, sometimes it isn't done well. And it often doesn't work for people like Biggie, partly because schools often don't cater well to the arts, like performing, but also because schools in black neighborhoods are often underfunded and under-resourced. So someone like Biggie... It's really set up to fail with school. Like that, that system just isn't working for him. And then even though you're set up to fail, they'll use the fact that you failed to call you a fool, even though it was, it was you know, the odds were against you all along. But Biggie was able to overcome that and, and he knew that people would still judge him for being a dropout despite that. It makes me think of Kanye with the college dropout. Like it's still considered somewhat of a, a tarnish on your, on your reputation but he kind of owns it and then in the same way Biggie's saying like it's it's still all good he made it anyway which is a positive spin on it yeah I snapped you on the line stereotypes of a black male misunderstood and it's still all good and if you don't know now you know I think when we broke down park me against the world I said what I'm about to say now these guys were woke before woke existed stereotypes of a black male under misunderstood and even though this is just a one-liner in an incredible track of bars, 
This shit has been around for a long, long time. They knew it then, and they're still dealing with it now. Yeah, I mean, they were 100%... Like, they were certainly aware of all of, like, the issues facing, like, economic issues and class. I don't know if they'd be considered work by today's standards if you listen to, like, the track Dead Wrong. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. <laughs> Who's next, bro? I'm up. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 100% snap there, bro. Oh, nostalgia alert. Um, I, I can't tell you how many hours of my youth were put into Super Nintendo and the Sega. Just countless hours. Mario Kart on the SNES. Cooper on Ghost Valley. My lap time was incredible, honestly. <laughs> but but also, like, I, I just relate to this bar because I remember when when I, like, wasn't in a position to, to buy nice things and then I really couldn't picture this. So, for example, where I live now and, and the things I get to do, and mostly modest things, like I'm not rich, but I can still, for example, go on holiday abroad when I want to, which is, I, I think I did that once when I was growing up, like, which wasn't something we did. And... Again, a lot of it comes down to luck, but it's really funny to think back to those days and then look at yourself now and think, wow, what would I say to myself if I saw, you know, met myself back then? You can't picture what life's going to be like in the future. It's, it's nice to think back on those times. It makes you really appreciate what you had. Facts, bro. Um, I 100% snapped you on those lines. Alan, in the words of B. Dolan, I'm going to ask you a question. Which side were you on? Which side were you on? If you had to pick, Oh, Super Nintendo all day. Thank God for that. Super Nintendo was the one. That SNES, like you said, was just so good. The games on that console were just on a whole nother level. And you know what else I think? The jump to 16-bit propelled music to a whole nother level as well, Alan. Let me cut in some SNES bangers for you. Number one, Guile's theme on Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Ken's theme on Street Fighter 2 Turbo. Ryu's theme on Street Fighter 2 Turbo. And then the one that went fully undercover for most people, Killer Instinct on the SNES, one of the most underrated fighting games of all time, but actually considered one of the best soundtracks for a game ever, period. Only on Nintendo Ultra 64. 
So wow, I didn't know that. Well, I, I was I thought you were going to say just that it was like one of the best games period for that time because I remember being blown away by the graphics on Killer Instinct. That was like when I played Killer Instinct for the first time, I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" And <laughs> when I saw my first Ultra. <laughs> I was just like, nah. But just a madness. And you you couldn't have said it right. That nostalgia is so intoxicating. You can end up start talking about this <laughs> shit for hours, right? Absolutely. Who's next? I'm up. Phone bill about 2G's flat. No need to worry. My account on Hannah's app. And my whole crew is lounging. Celebrating every day. No more public housing. Jeez, bars. So once again, with the with the nostalgia and the exposing how old I am, when I first got the internet at home, it was a AOL, and it cost one p a minute to be online. <laughs> and which is insane when you think about it. One p a minute to be on the internet. And boy, did I rack up some serious phone bills. Like, I, I don't think my mom realized how much time we were spending on the internet until those bills arrived. And then it was like, that's it. Restricted time after that. Like, it, w it was ridiculous. And then eventually, obviously, they, they got rid of pay per minute. But it's mad that that was the thing. And then the, the second line, no more public housing. We call it council housing here or, or social housing because council housing has got kind of a stigma attached to it. But it's, it's the same thing as what Biggie's talking about. You hear um, other artists like Kendrick talk about Section 8 housing and what it's like to live with the stigma of, of having the state pay for your home, essentially. And in this country, there's, there's lots of classism and judgment towards people who live in council houses, but we just need to get past it. Like, affordable housing should be just a human right, in my opinion. And, and if affordable means free, then it should be free. That, that, and that's it. And I don't think anyone should have to feel shame about the place that they live. But yeah, that's that, that's my little political soapbox for this episode. Build more affordable housing. <laughs> bars, bro. Bars and amazing takes and breakdowns there, man. Who's next? You're up. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time when my face is up in the sauce. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us. No heat. Wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays were the worst days. Now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Damn right, I like the life I live. Because I went from negative to positive, And it's all, it's all good. And if you don't know, now you know. N-word. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time my face is up in the sauce. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us. No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us. Birthdays was the worst days. Now we sip champagne when we thirsty. Uh, damn right I like the life I live. Cause I went from negative to positive and it's all. And if you don't know, now you know. Semi snap there. I love this passage in so many different ways. The wordplay, the visualizations, the flow, the rhythm, it's all there. And the things that like really stick out to me is like the bar, I wonder why Christmas missed us. It's so good, man. It's so simple, so effective. And so like, as I said, when you, when you think about that line, it really does take you there. It's like, you know, everyone gets excited for Christmas, but Christmas missed him and his family. 
And it's it's just relatively simple, but it's just so, so good. Same with birthdays were the worst days. You know, most people say birthdays like the happiest day of their, their year, isn't it? It's the day that they were born. It's a day to celebrate. But birthdays were the worst days because for Biggie and his family, they were the, the days that really, really reflected on how much they didn't have compared to everyone else. And, you know, you just feel completely left left out, isolated. I think, you know, being fi- feeling financially isolated is a big deal. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, they take happiness levels of places like third world countries and they tend to be on, on average more happier than Western civilizations. And the reason why is because they don't feel financially isolated. If you're all poor, you're all poor, right? If you're all thingy. So financial isolation can be a really toxic and dangerous thing for you. And I've said it so many times before that sometimes I, you know, go through some bad patches in life, but I always try to reflect and say, hey, I've got warmth, I've got shelter and I've got clean running water. You know, take take solace in that, Abby. Stop, stop you know, being low the way that you feel low and stuff. But now we sip champagne when we thirsty. That split on thirsty is sick. That is sick. Trust me, in a time where probably no one was bending words like that or nowhere near as well, that is why people were just blown away by this guy. And then I don't know if you have ever heard of a guy called Mo Gaudat. Have you heard of him? No. Uh, So my boy Nathan Lott put me on him just a couple weeks back. And his story alongside Biggie's truly, truly, truly makes me believe that no matter how horrible your position it may be in life, no matter how long or old you might be, you've absolutely always got the ability to go from negative to positive. And if you don't know, then now you know. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, I I snapped you pretty much on, on... Everything you just said there, I highlighted the line about no heat, wonder why Christmas missed us. And like you said, it's such a powerful and then sad line, like holidays and birthdays should be amongst the happiest times for a child, right? And and if it's the worst, it just kind of shows you how, like, the reality of how tough poverty is. Like if it makes your happiest days into the worst days and on a day where everyone else is getting gifts, it just kind of amplifies how much you don't have. And again, I feel I can relate, like not on the same level at all, but there are times as a kid, you know, when you go back to school after Christmas and everyone's, you know, talking about what they got, you know, and I was just embarrassed to join those conversations because, you know, people have got like the latest games console, or, like the new Nikes and all the different things. And we didn't have that sort of disposable income. We always had gifts. They were just more modest. And 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 I appreciated every single one of those gifts because like Christmas is such a hard time for single parents. And I don't know or any low-income family for that matter, and I don't know how they do it because there's so much pressure to make it good for your kids. And I'm incredibly grateful that my mom was able to get us any gifts, let alone, like, the the the, the top ones. But, yeah, just despite the hardship, it's a super relatable line. And, again, now we sip champagne when we Thursday. It just makes you appreciate what you didn't have when you have it. And I'm with you 100% on the flow of that line. This is what everyone talks about when they say that Biggie has the best flow. It's doing something as simple as that, but making it flow perfectly. His slow flow is remarkable, as he says. Absolutely. Great artist. Absolute banger. Absolute unbelievable artist. I don't feel like this is going to be the last time we touch on Biggie again. Absolutely. Nothing but love. R.I.P. 
hope all the blessings go towards this guy, his energy and all his family to Biggie Smalls. Nothing but love to all of Biggie Smalls fans. Nothing but love to all the BRL listeners out there. Nothing but love to you, Alan. One. Peace. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. Representing Big Town in the house. Junior Mafia, Mass Label. Uh. Uh.